Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. As we are moving into this time of the year, this has been a difficult year. We would always all say yes to that, that's for sure, but God still wants us to be thankful even in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges. Amen? That's really a word for us. And He still wants us to be grateful. And I want to just take a moment and thank you as a church uh, for sharing the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And serving the Lord in hope and the sacrifices and faith that you are making every single day for the Lord's glory. You know, as we come, we're bringing the gospel of John to conclusion today here, but it will continue to live on in our, our lives and uh, every day as we walk it out. We've been in this journey, for those of you who have been with us since the beginning of the year. So as we bring it to culmination, I really hope that your faith was stretched. How many of your faith has been stretched through this study of the gospel of John? Mine has as well. And I hope that you've been uh, changed by who Jesus says that he is and has declared to us. And as we've seen through this gospel, that the gospel of John was written so men and women might believe in Jesus Christ and by believing in his name. So the book of John was written for eternal life. That's for sure. Eternal life, as you and I understand and come to understand, is not just the length of time that you and I live. Eternal life involves the growing knowledge of God. And it is in the experience of coming to know him. In eternity, it will be uninterrupted knowledge of God. Uh, in history that we're living in today, it's interrupted because of our experience, the things that we go through, interrupted by sin and interrupted by circumstances, then our human limitations, and Lord knows we got to sleep, right? Amen? And uh, we've got to go to work. And sometimes those things, the knowledge of God, get interrupted in our lives. There are many things that interrupt our experience with God. Heaven is the uninterrupted knowledge of God. Think about that. Just because you and I go to heaven doesn't mean we stop in our knowledge. It's going to continue into eternity. So the purpose of eternal life is to know God. We said this a few weeks ago, John chapter 17 and verse 3. This is eternal life that you may know who? God, right? The book of John was written to why God should be believed for who he is and what he has done in our lives. Today, there are a multiplicity of encounters that are going to take place in these final chapters of the book of John. We ended last time, last week, with the greatest miracle of them all, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we concluded the first half of chapter 20, where Mary has come to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. We pick up today in verse 15, as we look, Jesus is wondering why Mary is weeping. She thinks he is the gardener and wants to know where he has taken him. And she looks at Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, but is the gardener and says, tell me where they've put him. And Jesus says to her, Mary, and she turned and said, Rabboni, which is teacher. We may wonder, why didn't Mary recognize Jesus? There was just a couple thoughts on that. It could be that he was clothed in that moment. She thought he was a gardener. 
Also, it could have been that Jesus was in his glorified body as part of the aging process in in the physical body, which is no longer the case in his glorified body. And so, in fact, you know, I might take a minute to recognize you in heaven, and you may take a a moment to recognize me in heaven, because we're going to have glorified bodies. Amen? That's a good thing about it. People will get their hair back in heaven. How many of you are thankful for that? I mean, that's going to be amazing. Wrinkles will be gone. You're going to have a permanent facelift. You won't have to go to a doctor for that. Everything that is sagging now will be firm and in the right place that God intended it to be in heaven. How many of you are thankful for that? Woo! Hallelujah! Gravity takes place. Every year that we're alive, things start sagging. You're pushing things back into place. Shouldn't be there. But I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be amazing. Because heaven, everything's going to be in the right place. In our physical body, it's going to be a glorified body then. Wow, we're going to look at one another and say, wow, I'm going to tell you, my goodness, heaven has been good to you. And uh, I mean, have you ever looked at somebody and said, wow, the years have not been good to them? Don't point at them right now, please. But um. If we get to heaven, it's going to be like heaven has been good, and heaven is good for all of us. That's for sure. Jesus, at this moment, he delegates to Mary to talk and to tell the message of the good news. He says, you can do this. He says in verse 17, I'm ascending to the Father and your Father and to God my God. In verse 18, Mary told the disciples she had seen the Lord, and he had spoken these things to her. Now, you understand it's Sunday evening. It's the first day of the week. Verse 19, where the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. I hope you understand that and don't miss it. Jesus stood in the midst of them where the doors were shut. And this tells you a lot because the Bible says when we're resurrected, we will be like him. He had a physical body, but it no longer had material limitations physical body. He could be seen. He could be clung to. He could be touched. and He could speak. He could talk. He could hear. But he did not have now earthly limitations. Um, He would walk in, and we're going to see him in this situation. There was no limitations in his glorified body to be, boom, there. He appears in their midst and says, peace be with you. Come on, can you say those words with me? Peace be with you. We need the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Peace be with you because they're scared of the Jews. In verse 20, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were glad that they saw the Lord because this was absolutely indescribable. By the way, I hope you know this, there will only be one scarred person in heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. And those are eternal reminders, scars on his hands, scars on his side, the cost of our redemption and salvation. Jesus will carry those marks with him forever. He pronounces peace to them. Why does he pronounce peace? Because they're scared. If you're scared today, this is the word for us. Peace be with you. One of the ways that you and I can know peace is God's peace is when you are getting it at a time and in circumstances when you're not supposed to have it. 
You can know in that moment that it's God's peace. You ever been in a moment where things have raced out of control, whatever took place, a word of something came forward, it was a bad word, it wasn't good news, something took place, it was an accident, you heard about it, somebody in your life that's, that's changed, but you know in that moment that peace came over you. You can know that that's God's supernatural peace in those moments that's come to touch you and to minister to you. He pronounces peace, and the Jews have not changed. They haven't. Jesus can still speak peace to you and I today, even when the situation has not changed. By having Jesus in the middle, he appeared in their midst. You, fit, you understand now, you know, we understand he doesn't have the limitations. He doesn't have to walk through a door. He just appears in their midst. A couple of thoughts on encountering Jesus today, if you're taking notes. Number one, you always want Jesus in the center of your circumstances. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This was a prophetic word that Jesus was telling them that's going to happen on the day of Pentecost in Acts. He preps them for this moment to receive the Holy Spirit and to carry on the work of Jesus in his absence. When you and I receive the Holy Spirit, you and I receive spiritual authority. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And I can't go into all of this, but this permitting or forgiving, this is along the same lines in Scripture as binding and loosing. This is the exercise of spiritual authority. The more the Holy Spirit is in control in your life, the more authority you have. The less the Holy Spirit is in control, the less authority that you have. The kingdom authority is tied to the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. I hope you understand that. Spiritual authority is tied to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. As we yield and as we submit to the Lord, more of the power of the Holy Spirit is alive and we have more kingdom authority. Don't do anything. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will have power, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Are you with me, church? Now, you understand Thomas is not with them when Jesus comes at first. He's not with the disciples. And so the other disciples say when uh, Thomas shows up, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. This is why we call him Doubting Thomas as we look. He says, unless I see the hands, the imprints of the nails, and my fingers in the place of the nails, in, that in his fingers, in his feet, in his side, he said, I will not believe. Go back to chapter 11, as we looked at that a number of weeks ago. Thomas has all this courage, but now he has lost his strength and his courage. He has real doubts about the resurrection. Because, you know, he's kind of like, because unless I'm, uh, I'm from Missouri, you got to show me. Some of you, you're not too aware of Missouri. You know Missouri's the show me state. I had to tell some people in the first, don't feel too bad about that. It's the show me state. You know, unless I'm from Missouri, you got to show me, which means you can be spiritually on top one moment and you can be spiritually in the valley on another. And eight days later, verse 26, it tells us Jesus is in the disciples' midst and says, peace be still. And he tells Thomas, you know, put your finger here in my hands and in my side 
and see for yourself. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing in this moment. You and I have to understand, you and I always need Jesus in the center of our circumstances. Amen? Thomas does not say, I'm struggling to believe. He says, I will not believe. He, is, he was a determined unbeliever. You ever met somebody like that? They're just determined to not believe in Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus can do it and work in our lives when he is in the center of our lives, even when we're walking around in unbelief, that Jesus will prove himself to us? Number two, God is so gracious, he will meet us in our unbelief. I love this. Because everybody in this room has said unbelief at one time or another. Something about the Lord, there's just been unbelief in our life. And Thomas makes this statement in verse 28, my Lord and my God, what is he doing? He's acknowledging Jesus' deity. And Jesus accepts it. Because he said in verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God wants you and me to believe in him before we ever see him. Not after you see him. Not after you see him work. He wants you to believe in his word while you're waiting on his work. Oftentimes, there's a gap in between. Well, yes, Lord, I know about you, but I really can't see you, and there's a gap. But the key verse comes that we said the very first week in John chapter 1, where we brought this back. This is the key verse to this whole chapter, John chapter 20, in verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus, I want you to help me out. Now, Jesus did many other what? Signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may, what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, what? Life in his name. This is what we have seen week in and week out in the Gospel of John this year. There's a pattern. Number one, there are signs. That Jesus does a sign. Just to do a sign? No. He does a sign, number two, for belief. That leads to number three, which is life eternal. This is the purpose of the book of John. The idea is there's a progression from signs, hearing the words of Jesus, seeing the works of Jesus, that leads a person to make a decision about who Jesus is and that they will decide Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, and that causes them to enter into a whole other dimension of life. As we had the opportunity as a church yesterday to hand out uh, over 50 boxes and then it'll be almost another 50 more between today and tomorrow, that uh, there are so many people that came through that their lives were touched, that sat in their car as we loaded their car up yesterday and that they were moved to tears. Moved to tears because as they went through, we had an opportunity to pray with just about every single person that went through the line. We asked them, what is going on? What is the need? And as many of them broke and tears came, that there was one lady that uh, Kristen and I met. Her name was Cindy. And as she came, she was overwhelmed by the generosity of the church, that she broke in tears. She has a lot of anxiety about the virus. She's separated from her family, and uh, the condition between her and her son is not well. She can't be with her grandchild this Thanksgiving holiday. And I took a moment as we were there and just took a moment and said, Cindy, have you ever accepted Christ Jesus personally into your life? And she says, no, I never have. 
I said, you want to do it? And she said, let's do it. And in that moment, I had her repeat after me and pray. And in that moment, she accepted Christ. She got done and she said, I'm 53 years of age and I've never accepted Christ up until this very point right now. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Salvation brings a new dimension. And I want to remind you, church, that in these days that we have a mask on, and I understand that people being safe and do that and be healthy because there's a lot of people that are not well, they are sick, and many people are grieving loss. I understand that. But listen, I want to encourage you that people are in need of Jesus and people want to find Jesus in this day. They want to know him. Will you just take the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ today and this week and to move them into a new dimension because in their current situation, they are lost and they are going to hell. And they need a new dimension called salvation. Don't be afraid to speak up for the name of Jesus in this day and lead other people to Christ. There are many hurting people. As you move into chapter 21, the disciples are all together, the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And Peter says in verse 3, hey, I'm going fishing. Now, Simon's a fisherman, we know, and it's his business. He has a family. We know that he's married because Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. But he also has denied the Lord three times. He has a spiritual issue, and he has a spiritual reality. Peter. He's a leader because anytime you see the names of the disciples that are listed, Peter's name is first. He's a leader amongst the disciples. And the other disciples here that Peter's going fishing, they said, well, we're going too. And as they went, verses 4 and 5, and that night they caught nothing. And it's amazing to me, I think it's kind of funny, Jesus said, children, you don't have any fish, do you? Don't you love that? Jesus already knew they didn't have fish because he knows everything. Children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they said, no, in verse 6, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you're going to find some. So they cast it on the other side, and there was a multitude of fish that they were not able to draw in. And here we have a great lesson. Jesus had taught his disciples in the upper room, and it says in John 15, without me, you can do what? Church, without me, Jesus, you can do what? Nothing. Peter and the disciples said, we're going fishing. But it wasn't working until they did what Jesus told them to do. Jesus like, how are y'all doing out there? We're not catching. You didn't catch anything? Nope, we don't have anything. We've caught nothing. Jesus said, you're fishing in the wrong spot. Put it on the right side, and then you're going to get a catch that you can't even handle. And this is a repeat event if you look back to Luke chapter 5 where the same thing happened with Peter. And here's the principle. When you are doing what you think you know how to do, because you've got background, you've got history, you've got experience, you've got money, and you've got education, and it's not working, this is a prime experience that God is offering you to see what only he can do. Number three, without Jesus, you and I can do nothing, which means with him, you can do something. He told them to do something opposite of what they were currently doing so that when God shows you and me or us a deeper level of his manifestation, his illumination, his power, he will allow us to be failing in our own efforts when the Lord allows you and me to be in a situation where it's not working, we're doing what we only know how to do from previous experience, 
that we have to look at it, that it's a strong possibility that God is wanting you to do something different and outside of the normal way of doing it. And I want to offer you that principle today, and I want you to run it through the filter of your life. In what you are doing, if it's not working, and we've all been there, Jesus is saying, will you do what I have told you to do in the first place? Will you listen to my words? We've all been in place. I'm doing this. It's not working. Jesus comes on the scene. You're not catching anything, are you? No. Well, I want you to do this now. I want you to come off your default thinking and all your knowledge. These were fishermen. These, these, these men weren't stupid. They knew how to fish. And he speaks a word into their life in that moment that you just do this and uh, find out what I'm about ready to do. Faith is acting like God's telling the truth. More than I just believe you, Lord, no, they had to throw it on the other side of the boat. You've been on the left side. He says, no, I want you to throw it on the right side. I want you to take it out, and I want you to throw it. There was an action that had to accompany his words. And it wasn't until they acted on the word that they see the word work. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is that? That's John. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, which meant he was probably in his underwear and dove into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat. The next verse, then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals where it was fish laid on it and bread. When, when they get into land, Jesus is cooking breakfast. I mean, that had to be quite a breakfast. I mean, the Lord's cooking the breakfast for you. I mean, how many of you like to have been there? I mean, Jesus does all things well. I mean, that was a breakfast like none other. He's cooking them breakfast as they're getting there. And let me tell you, he appeared. He's there. There's no limitation. Jesus was there. He's waiting for all of them to come across. And where, where do you get, you understand back in the earlier gospel, where do you get the bread and fish? We know Jesus knows how to turn crackers and fish into a Moby Dick sandwich, right? He can do it. 5,000 plus men and women, he might, you know, well, how did he get the fish in the pan? Well, he could have just said, fish, get out of the water and come over here in the pan. Now, I probably didn't do that, but he can do anything. And he's cooking breakfast. And he's preparing, excuse me, for a charcoal fire. The The word charcoal is only found two times in the New Testament. It's found here, and the other time, it's found when Peter is warming his hands over a charcoal fire when he denied the Lord three times. What is Jesus doing? He's taking Peter back. And we know by the conversation that he's getting ready to have that's coming up with Peter, we understand Peter was leaving the Lord earlier. Now Peter is coming back to the Lord this time. It's breakfast time. He will never forget this meal. How do we know? Because Acts chapter 10 and verse 41, Peter talks about what it's like to eat with Jesus after his resurrection. And Jesus invites the other disciples to eat with him, and none of them ask, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord, and Jesus gave them the bread and the fish, and we understand that way back in the coming up, and the breakfast is there now, verse 15, so they had eaten breakfast, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Who are these? What's he saying? Do you love me more than these other disciples? Jesus wants to know if Peter is the most committed to him. Now, 
I can't go in, and you probably heard thousands of messages on this, but there is so much in here. Jesus' word for love is agape, for God so loved the world. That's the same word. That agape is God's self-sacrificial love for man. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. You need to know two things about this response. Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Phileo is the brotherly word for love, right? Brotherly word, love. Philadelphia, brotherly love or brotherly shove, whatever side of Philly you're on. And what is he saying? It's more like, I like you, Jesus. There's a lot of people that just like Jesus. They like the thoughts about him. I like him when he does good things for me. Peter's like, I love you like a brother. Verse 16, Jesus tells him, tend my lambs. Ah, Peter, you have humbled yourself. And so guess what? I can use you now for my glory. Now you can be a shepherd. Now you can lead people because you're not this prideful person anymore. You know, and I just want to warn our our younger generation here that, listen, don't be so prideful that you can't learn and be teachable to those that are older because none of us have all the knowledge. It's a word for all of us, though, today to be reminded that God uses humility and will use it for his kingdom and his glory more than anything else, right? Because none of us know it all. He can use people that have a humble spirit. And that's what he chooses to use all throughout the word of God. And here he comes to Peter. And Peter's like, I love you like a brother. He tells him, tend my lambs. He says to him third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? The third love is not agape, it's phileo. So Jesus comes down and meets Peter where he's at. Jesus can work right where you're at today in the place that you are in. We've all been in the wrong place with Jesus at some time or another in our lives. But when you're in the right place, when humility comes, Jesus will come to where you are at and will work with you. Why does he ask him three times? Well, it's because he denied him three times. So he gives him a repeat. He rewinds it back to say, listen, I know what you did back there. And it's really a ministry recall that God can restore and God can redeem any single person on planet Earth. Amen. 17, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Peter was so grieved because here's Jesus he, he's asked him again, third time. It kind of broke his heart. God was willing to meet him, though, where he was at. Many of us know what it's like, that feeling of forgiveness from the Lord, don't we? That we have been forgiven of our sins, no matter what we've done when we come and we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive it. God is with us even in our failure. For repentance allows for restoration. Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 18, When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. After Peter's restored, he gets this prophetic statement from Jesus about his life right there. Jesus is talking to Peter. This spoke by what death that Peter would glorify God. Verse 19, and when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Church history tells us Peter was crucified upside down. But even we see Peter, even in suffering, he says, I want you to follow me. That even in what you're going through today, church, whatever we are going through, 
corporately and whatever you're going through individually, Jesus said, even in your suffering, I want you to follow me. Amen? Follow me. Not only in the feel-good times, but always. And he says in 20, Peter turned around and saw the disciple who Jesus loved, John, who was behind Peter. John, the one who leaned on Jesus' chest in the upper room. He says, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And what about this man? I think it's great. Here comes Peter, a heart of humility, but he's still speaking and kind of blabbing. You know, kind of that old self is still coming out here. Peter's like, wait a minute. You told me about me, Jesus, but what about John? What about John boy over here? You know, John boy's got some stuff that he needs to deal with. This guy over here, right? Jesus said, that's none of your business, basically. That's not for you to worry about. Verse, if I want him to remain until I come, verse 22, what is that to you? You follow me. This is, a, this is very instructive for people that like to be in other people's business. How many of you know we live in a day where people just want to be in other people's business, right? They don't care about their own business. Don't touch my business, but I'm going to worry about your business. How many of you are with me, right? This, this is very instructive for us. Wow, everybody's got a point of view out there on the internet, social media. I got a point of view, and you should do this. And why aren't you doing that? What he's saying is God has a general will for all of us, but then he has a specific will for each and every one of us as well. And he's not about ready to reveal to Peter his specific will for John. You're getting into something here, Peter, that's really none of your business. And so you are not to use God's will for you to be a measure for someone else. How many of you are with me? Your distinct call on the Lord is so different from the person that's even sitting right next to you. We all have a general will. Follow after him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sins. All of those things. The instruction through the word. But then there's a specific word to every single person here. Clearbrook. Sound of my voice online. God has given you a specific word over your life. I hope that you found what that word is. And you can find that specific word and will for you. Number five. God has a special plan for your life because... You have a personal relationship with him. In the encounter with Jesus, it's a personal relationship, and he wants to reveal himself to you. And the reason he gives you and me the Holy Spirit is that he can lead you into his personal will, which is different than everybody else's, which means you and I cannot sit as a judge on God's plan for someone else's life unless it involves disobedience to the revealed will of God. So Jesus looks at Peter and says, so I know you and John are friends, but listen, you need to follow me first rather than John. In verse 23, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? I mean, this tells you how people get things messed up and so wrong. Right here, the disciples, there was fake news happening inside the disciple right there. He says, no, no, what is this to you? If I want him to live forever on this earth, I can do that. I'm Jesus, I'm God, I can do whatever I want. But that's not what I said. I mean, there'll come a time and John will pass away on this earth. He said, what that, what's that to you? You've got to pay attention to what Jesus says, that every word of God is inspired and specifically stated. That's our call. 
Verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things, wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. How do we know? We were with you, Lord. We saw you. We saw you heal the masses. We saw you touch the multitudes. We witnessed you upon the cross. We saw you rise from the dead. We witnessed this with our own eyes. Verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Amen. What's he saying? What's been written about Jesus is itsy bitsy. Itsy bitsy. So minute. There's a whole lot more that Jesus did that, that, you know, that if we told you everything, the Library of Congress couldn't handle all the books that we read. If we told you all that Jesus did, I don't know if the, if the world could, could hold it all. So we are given in the Gospel of John a highlight reel. It's, it's bitsy. But the highlight is enough. In sports, when they show a highlight reel of a player, you know, he or she, man, can you imagine? Look at this. This is the highlight reel. What's it, what's it saying? This, this player can do something. This player can do something great. You, you and I don't have all that Jesus did, but you and I have, have enough so that if you and I take him seriously, you know he is who he declares himself to be, that he is the Son of God and he is the Son of Man and he is the Savior of the world, our Messiah, who is coming to give life to those that come to him. That's the Gospel of John. This is eternal life in Jesus Christ, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Next Sunday, I really feel impressed that I'm going to share a message for those of you that are able to be here in person, if not online, if you're traveling, whatever it may be, on thoughts for last day believers. really want to share a message that's been stirring in my heart for next Sunday. But I'm going to ask the Lord today, and I hope that you join me, that you would ask the Lord, come, Lord, into our midst peace be with you. In the midst of unrest, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of some of you are going to spend time with family members this week and you're like, I'm going to need a whole lot of grace. I'm going to pray peace be with you. Some of you are not going to be able to be with family and friends because they passed on this year. And I'm going to pray peace be with you. And I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to talk to people in the first service, some that they're not going to be with anybody in their house just themselves this Thanksgiving and I'm going to pray peace be with you as well that the Lord just appeared the walls cannot hold him he is there now that you and I need peace at this very hour not only in our churches but our communities need the peace of Jesus and our nation and the nations of the earth people that are going through suffering and loss and grief, I'm going to pray for that today. I'm going to pray for those nurses and doctors in the medical field, in our hospitals today, that peace be with you in the name of Jesus. For the job that you are doing, it is 
not unseen, it is not forgotten. For the person that's in a hospital bed that can't be around their family that is suffering and dying today, peace be with you. In Jesus' name. Will you join me in that prayer today? The way that we get God's peace first and foremost is eternal life, coming to Jesus. Lord, I accept you. I'm lost. That in this moment, a new dimension can come upon your life where you have eternal life in him and you can get a new beginning in Jesus' name. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we speak your peace in the name of Jesus. I speak it out today in the name of Jesus to those that are lost. Church, will you just, would you just speak peace be with you? Come on, just say it right now. Peace be with you. Come on, speak it out wherever you are. Peace be with you to the person that is in the hospital bed today. I speak peace be with you. Jesus is there with you if you'll just call upon him to the doctor, to the nurse, to the medical staff right here in our very own hospitals throughout this nation and the nations of the earth. I speak peace be with you. Come on, church. Would you speak it out? Come on. Would you speak the word of life? Peace be with you to the person that's having family this week to their home. Peace be with you to the person that is alone. Peace be with you to the person that can't be with others that uh, they spent last year with their thanksgiving because they have passed on to eternity i speak peace to you in the name of jesus even now he is there with you now in this moment so lord i speak it forth and i know that you honor your word because it's who you are it is your word there may be some of you here today that you've never experienced peace you never and maybe even like this lady, Cindy, yesterday who accepted Christ, 53 years of age, did it for the very first time. Maybe today it's your first time that you come and you know that you need eternal life, that God can give you overwhelming peace in this moment by first of all coming to him and confessing your sins and know that he's faithful and just to forgive you of every single sin that you have ever committed. And even like Peter, there's those in the room that every single one of us, sometime or another, have denied the Lord, and he's going to bring you back, and he's going to bring you over that charcoal fire again, and he's going to say three times, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, he said through it all. He said, Peter, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. I love you. I've called you back, and I care for you. To those of you that are here today that have never made that decision to follow Christ, would you take this moment right here in this room, and would you raise your hand and say, Christ Jesus, come and live in me. Thank you for this hand down here. Who else? Thank you for this hand. Who else? I see that hand in the very back. I see this hand. Anyone else? Anyone on our balconies? Main floor. Thank you for that hand. Thank you. Thank you for this hand back here on my left. Thank you for the person that I believe by faith at Clearbrook and online in the name of Jesus. That his peace is flooding your heart. Father, I thank you for every hand that was raised in this service. The Lord, that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ because you loved us. You died for us and you rose again. So, Lord, we stand in awe of your work and I thank you for every life that has come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord thanks. Amen for lives. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.